97.9 The Hill, WCHO, and the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media present Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. Sports Focus, dedicated to in-depth examination of issues of overriding importance in the sports world. Each week, we'll discuss problems and look for solutions in professional, collegiate, and amateur sports. From Carroll Hall on the Carolina campus, here's your host, UNC Journalism Professor Charlie Tuggle. Welcome to Sports Focus. Our topic today, the book, Marching Toward Madness, How to Save the Games You Always Loved. Our guests today, the co-authors of that book, John Labar, who coached tennis and won an ACC title at Duke. We're not going to hold his affiliation with Duke against him uh, for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> he then served as director of undergraduate studies at that fine institution. Then Alan Paul, who's a writer, former AP reporter, speech writer, uh, best-selling author. So uh, two guys who know what they're talking about. So gentlemen, uh, John, let me start with you. Uh, it's been uh, opined that COVID-19 is going to forever change the funding model of college sports. Does that affect your thoughts about uh, pay for play and, and the things that you wrote about in this book? Well, uh, it does affect it some because the budgets are going to be really, really strained, especially if they don't get the spectators in and a number of cuts have occurred already. But our main focus in this book, you know, is to get a balance between athletics and academics, which we think are very, very important. And right now we think that balance is out of whack uh, in most American universities and correcting this problem, you know, um, most people don't understand the history and the importance of the scholar athlete, which we focus on mostly. Um, you know, when it, our book comes out, we show why reviving the ideal of the scholar athlete is one of the greatest cultural issues of time, our time. Um, we have in the book, we have character traits uh, and we have also uh, how to impact life after they graduate from college if you are a good scholar athlete. Alan, you want to elaborate on that? Well, I think you covered it very well. It might be uh, useful for the audience to know how we uh, both came at this. <clears throat> I was, uh, when I was a high school senior, I hit a shot at the buzzer in the conference uh, championship basketball game. And I was just certain that that would make me a star. Began to dream foolishly about playing in the NBA. Um, but as it turned out, I didn't even play in college. Two years went by before I really got traction as uh, a student. But I eventually did become a good student. And I ended up with that, uh, in that experience, learning that uh, uh, it can be uh, fun uh, approaching your academic academics in a uh, organized and mature way is even in a sense of uh, hitting a uh, getting a rush from a shot at the buzzer. Uh, the same thing can even occur with uh, academics. Now, John, in total contrast, came at this on a much more direct, straight line. He was a very good. <clears throat> high school student and a high school athlete, went on to play in college. And then as uh, uh, you've already heard, he, he became a professor at Duke, uh, 
uh, coached the first school's first Atlantic Coast Conference championship team. So we've had a great relationship, even though we come <clears throat> come at this from different directions. So John, in the book, you talk about the term student athlete, and I've had plenty of guests on this show who say that's a made up term, and it was made up to suit the, uh, the goals of the NCAA, but if that term was once revered, why is it not revered anymore? Well, the term student athlete was uh, given by the NCAA so the university would not have to pay workers compensation uh, to the universities and the students. And we feel like, you know, that uh, we're talking about scholar athletes, not just student athletes, and how the scholar athlete can contribute much more to society um, than just a student athlete. And we show in the book, uh, we have classic examples of people who have performed greatly after they've uh, graduated from uh, the institution of Duke. And also we show that um, they were good scholar athletes while they were at Duke. And the point is, is that you can be both of them, um, but we don't think students are really students anymore. That's kind of diminished uh, in our society. And we think that uh, the university has lost its way sometimes in not promoting stringent, more stringent academic requirements for the athlete. Uh, well, I would just add that uh, there really is a kind of a dividing line roughly World War II when um, uh, after that, the um, term student athlete came into uh, wide recognition. <clears throat> but in the, the uh, period before World War II, going back to the 1890s, the term scholar athlete was a much, much uh, revered ideal. And that was an ideal held by most Americans. Sports Focus, we'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus. We're talking about the book, Marching Toward Madness, and all the, the things that uh, these authors of the book are suggesting as a way to get back to the ideals of the scholar-athlete. We're talking with John Labar and Alan Paul. So, John, uh, we mentioned right at the beginning the effect of COVID-19 on college athletics. Money was pouring in by the bucketfuls. Uh, to these, especially the Power Five conferences. It's not pouring in to that degree anymore. But is the money pouring in the, the root of all the evil, do you think? Well, I, th I think it's a couple of things. Um, a, universities want to win at all costs. And that's one of the problems when you focus on winning at all costs. Uh, we think that the uh, educational value of the university is much more important than the athletic value to the university. It doesn't mean athletics aren't important. It just means that very few people are going to generate a, a productive life just focusing on athletics. As a matter of fact, it's less than 1% that are going to make it in the pros. But we keep focusing on that, and, you know, it's just uh, the wrong way to go because we have statistics that show a person that gets a, a college education and a good job can probably make more in a lifetime than a pro professional athlete can 
because the professional athlete uh, life in, in pro sports is so short. You know, in football, I believe it's about five or six years, in basketball, maybe a little bit more. But they all talk about the large salaries, but most of the people aren't making large salaries and they will be out of a job in a short amount of time where if you get your scholar athlete, you know, then you're going to have that same kind of position your whole life. So therefore you're going to generate more dollars. So athletics are important. People like them. We love them. It's just that we've got to focus more on the uh, academic side than we do the sports side. So, Alan, you know, we were talking about all the money pouring in, and that money typically goes to enormous coaching salaries, tons of support staff, uh, player amenities, not pay to the players, but amenities like, you know, posh locker rooms and putt-putt golf courses and lazy rivers for the football team only. So is that where things have gone wrong that – uh how the money gets spent? Well, I think there's certainly a lot of <clears throat> legitimate questions raised about that. Uh, but I think we're beginning and on the verge of entering an entirely new uh, realm, and that's uh, the, the realm of uh, compensation to athletes, college athletes uh, at major universities. And what is often missed in this argument is that uh, only a small handful of players are likely to get any compensation at all. The estimates uh, of organizations that are very close to this uh, problem uh, range from, let's say, 250 players to 350. Uh, that's, that's the range that we've uh, uh, discovered in our research, uh, which means that we're changing a system that's been in existence for uh, more, well over 100 years uh, because uh, th there's this uh, understandable moral outrage at uh, high-paid coaches and all of the other uh, things that go on in athletic programs, but uh, yet uh, none of this uh, money is going to the athletes, many of whom come from disadvantaged economic backgrounds. And so that causes understandable moral outrage, but that, that needs to be uh, gauged very carefully so that whatever is created, and it looks like now it'll be compensation based on name, image, and likeness, so-called NIL, that uh, it will be done in a way that does not destroy the amateur model. Yeah, so John, uh, you guys mentioned that uh, pay for play is not the answer. Right. And you list 21 reasons why we don't have time to get all 21. But what are a couple of the main reasons why you argue that pay for play is not the answer? Well, we think it will cause major controversy. Number one, uh, who is the quarterback going to get more than the offensive lineman? Uh, you know, is the starting point guard going to get more than the center? So it will cause, cause some dissension on the team to start with. And all their tax implications, and there are oh so many other implications that uh, make this almost prohibitive. And we think that the NIL will actually be enacted, but nobody has actually uh, tried to state the unintended consequences. For example, if a varsity player in football, basketball spends 40 hours a week practicing, and now he's got an NIL and he's going to do commercials and sign everything. 
what time is he going to have for academics? Not much. So we think that paying them is not the answer. We think that educating them is the answer. Yeah, I think John makes a, a great point there. And I, it's the number one uh, uh, reason on our list of 21 that uh, uh, pay-for-play is not a good idea. And that said, it will diminish even further the responsibility of colleges and universities to uh, educate all their players. And uh, we can't, uh, John made a very important point that most of these athletes at the varsity level in football and basketball have the equivalent of full-time, quote, athletic, end quote, jobs, full-time athletic jobs. So the question is raised if they're going to spend uh, a lot of time in addition to that trying to build up their social media following so that they can monetize the benefit of that, uh, where are they going to get the time to do any studying? I mean, that's a, a, f a fair question, and I think we can uh, uh, accurately say that we have heard no one answer that yet. Sports Focus. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus and our discussion with John Labar and Alan Paul about uh, the argument that they make in their book, uh, Marching Toward Madness, that pay for play is not the answer. So, uh, John, as we were ending uh, the, the second segment, Paul mentioned that uh, NIL might not be the answer. Uh, you guys argued that direct pay is not the answer. What is the answer? Well, the answer hasn't changed over years. And we feel that the value of the education is the most important thing that the, anybody goes to the university for. And if we're not educating the students and you are gonna pay them, are they employees of the university at that point or are they students? The other part of the equation is at some point, uh, universities have to make a decision whether they're either in the education business or the entertainment business. And I hope that they will continue to be in the education business. In our book, it shows you how many scholar athletes we have by example of how they were able to compete at a very high level and yet do well academically. Some of them, most of them, a couple of them graduated magna cum laude. So it is a possibility, and we think it's much more important than helping out um, a small percentage of them, you know, and paying them uh, while they're in the university. And they're going to make a lot of money anyway, the football and basketball players to go to the NFL or NBA draft. So we just think it's important for academics. Alan, tell us about... William Henry Lewis, one of the oh, examples. Yes. Well, he's, a, he's a character we discovered in our, <clears throat> I might just say, five years of uh, research and uh, writing on this subject. Uh, he, William Henry Lewis is a, a fascinating character. His parents were both slaves. He was fast-tracked by a very uh, astute president at Virginia Union, uh, university who who saw that he had extraordinary ability, helped him get into Amherst. He, uh, he played football there and then transferred to uh, Harvard uh, Law School. Went to, not didn't transfer, he entered the Harvard Law School. And then he, it was not uh, 
prohibited for a graduate student or a law student to play football anyway to make uh, uh, compress a lot into a small amount of time. He uh, was one of the greatest centers of all time, uh, as uh, rated by Walter Camp, who's widely regarded as the father of uh, American football. But as John was saying earlier, so many of these guys like uh, William Henry Lewis, the first black uh, All-American in, in the U.S., um, so many of the, these guys went on to have extraordinary careers, and his is a perfect example. He got his Harvard Law degree, degree became a successful uh, lawyer in Boston. Uh, he uh, uh, was appointed in, 2000, in 1911, excuse me, 1911, uh, President Taft appointed him as a U.S. Attorney General, Assistant U.S. Attorney General, and that made him the highest ranking uh, black ever to serve in the federal government. He went on after his service there to have a lifetime full of accomplishments. But he's a very good example of the high impact lives that uh, we see and explore in our book of scholar athletes. John, uh, has Coach K read your book and has he commented about it? No, I don't think he has read it. Uh, I know Coach K very well, as a matter of fact, and uh, I haven't talked to him about the book as of yet. We're, we're still doing a lot of uh, marketing stuff for the book and trying to get it out in front of the public at this point. I'd, I'd be very interested to hear his comments about that. Um, Alan, let me also ask you, uh, uh, we have only about a minute left. Another example uh, that you cite of, of someone who can have an excellent uh, career as an athlete and then go on to uh, big things outside of athletics, Nancy Hogshead Makar. Well, she's uh, uh, our example in the book of uh, one of the most important traits, character traits of a scholar athlete, and her, her uh, most pronounced trait is courage. Nancy was uh, at a very young age a phenomenal swimmer. She got the first uh, female scholarship for swimming at Duke, never lost a conference uh, meet in a conference meet. Uh, she was training for the 1984 Olympics uh, just before Thanksgiving in 1983 and out jogging between the East and West campus campuses at Duke and was uh, brutally assaulted uh, on the jogging trail and it sent her life into eclipse. I mean, she'd been an outstanding student in addition to her athleticism. Uh, she went into a terrible uh, tailspin, eventually uh, ended up with what, what we now know as PTSD. In any event, her, she had a smart coach who just uh, stressed to her, she quit swimming, I didn't say that. He stressed to her, uh, Nancy, I just want you to come to the practices and watch. And she started doing, doing that and after a few weeks got back into the water and began her training regimen. Fast forward to 1984, she uh, went to the Los Angeles Olympics. She won uh, three gold medals and one silver and was decorated as the most outstanding athlete of the entire Olympics. After that, she went. She uh, uh, finished w law school at uh, Georgetown, became a 
law school professor, and she's regarded today as one of the uh, uh, outstanding experts on Title IX in the country. And that does it for this edition of Sports Focus. Thanks to our guests, John Labar and Ellen Paul. Thanks Thank also you. to producer Chip Sweeney. And as always, thanks to you for listening. Cheers. Thanks to Richard Southall, Mark Nagel, and Deborah Southall at the College Sport Research Institute at the University of South Carolina for their research and guidance and for access to CSRI's international network of sources. Sports Focus is a service of UNC's Hussman School of Journalism and Media.